0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, February the 28th, 2024. It is currently 1.29 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, I was told someone posted a review at TheologyCentral.net. They went there, TheologyCentral.net. They left a review. Of course, they left it under like an anonymous name or no name. So they didn't want to, they didn't contact me via the email address that I always give out in every episode, newsif at yahoo.com. They didn't want to contact me via email. They went to TheologyCentral.net to leave a review that says... That I need to actually learn theology because I don't share theology. I only share my opinion. And I was, that was, that was, that was news to me. I, I was shocked by this because I thought years after year after year after year going to this school and this school and this school and this school. And you think having degrees in theological studies and biblical studies and religious education. You think somewhere in all of that, I would have learned some theology, but I guess I did not learn theology. I only give my opinion. Of course, I was not given the opportunity to respond because they didn't leave any information and I wasn't able to respond to where I did not share theology because, well, I wasn't told. I was just, you know, that's one of those things I I, kind of refer to them as drive-by comments. They just drive by. And then they throw a negative thing out and then they just drive right on down the road. And then typically you're left with a little bit of frustration. So all I can tell you, is this is a Theology Central podcast where we make my opinion central since I don't actually share theology, but I, I do believe we talk about the- theological perspectives and issues all the time. I think we talk about hermeneutics, we talk about ecclesiology, eschatology, the nature of the church, how the church should work. We talk about, I think we talk about all kinds of issues. And one of the issues that we have found ourselves talking about recently is the issue of heavy metal? Okay, well, actually, no, no, no. It really wasn't. We really weren't talking about heavy metal. I did get a couple of emails about. I knew that was the band you were going to talk about. I knew that was the band, and I think uh, I think a couple of the emails I received were people from uh, the UK, so they knew it. But if you, if you remember, I did a message called Heavy Metal Theology. And we talked about the brand new album, or I guess it's not really brand new, January the 19th, 2024. So an album from this year, because in music, you know, you release an album by the next week, it's already considered old. Okay, but but January the 19th, 2024, the album is called Hell, Fire, and Damnation by the metal band Saxon, who started in like 1975. I think their first official album was 78, 79. It's dates I always forget. And we looked at the title track, Hell, Fire, and Damnation. And in that track, the lyrics gave this idea of this never-ending battle, this war between God and Satan. And we are kind of caught in the middle of it. And it's never going to end. And we talked about... Well, okay, how much power does Satan have? And if if Satan has any power... Well, is it God who's allowing him to have the power and why? Is, and then we started raising some questions and I told you to to do a little bit of research and I gave you some assignments to work on in regards to Satan and, and some different things. What can Satan actually do to us? What, can, what do you think he can do versus what the scriptures actually say? So I, I kind of gave that assignment and then we, of course we immediately moved on to other things earlier this morning. We talked about, well, not earlier this morning, at noon, I think is when I actually went live for the last live broadcast. We, we talked about kind of like your the spiritual life, your spiritual journey. How do you describe your Christian life? How do you really describe your Christian life? Well, we're going to return back And in a sense, we're going to bring these two concepts together because how do you describe your Christian life as it relates to Satan and his impact on your spiritual life? So we're going to take those two broadcasts, the one we did on heavy metal theology and the one I just recently did about your spiritual journey. And we're going to put those two together because I want you to think about how you would describe your Christian life. But how do you describe your Christian life and then add to that how Satan impacts your Christian life? What can Satan do or not do to you? And then how do you rectify that with the idea that God is sovereign? If God is sovereign, but Satan can do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. He can do those things to you. Why can he do them to you if God is sovereign why doesn't God simply stop him from doing that? And if God doesn't stop him from doing that, why is it God stopping him from doing that? Those are those are very important questions to ask. And I don't have very easy answers to it. So we're going to take all of those concepts together because here's what happened yesterday after um, I did, I think, the heavy metal theology message, and we started talking about Satan. Someone obviously participating in the Sermons 2.0 app challenge. Well, he, he, he started looking around the Sermons 2.0 app on sermons about, I think, Satan's power or the power of Satan, something along those lines. And he sent me not just one, not two, but I believe three different things he found on the Sermons 2.0 app in regards to Satan. In regards to his power and he, and he mentioned different parts of them. Well, I have one of the messages he sent. It is 42 minutes and 37 seconds long. It is entitled, How Satan Gets Into Your Head. How Satan Gets Into Your Head by Dr. Charles A. Stewart. Now, if you have the Sermons 2.0 app, You should look up that sermon immediately, download it, listen to it all on your own at a different time so you can hear their perspective. How Satan gets into your head, it has like 33,000, 34,000 downloads and streams, meaning a lot of people have listened to it. So that means it's probably at least been somewhat influential. That's a that's a big number on on that app. 33 34,000. That's a that's a very good number. that's a good number no matter which app you're on. All right? So so that's very good and 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 so that's that's success for them. That's great. That's influence for them. That's great. But I'm always curious how Christians think and talk about what Satan can or cannot do. In fact, sometimes I'm greatly perplexed what they believe Satan can or cannot do. Sometimes I'm just like, you think Satan literally can do anything and everything to us. So if Satan can literally do anything and everything to us, then what is our hope of success? Because then we have our internal corruption, we have an external enemy called Satan, and then we have the world, how do we overcome this? And Christians love to create these sermon series, how to overcome this, and how to overcome this, and five steps, but it, it it's all based off, you know, hey, have an accountability partner, and do this, and do that, It's it's very like... In many cases, really, the techniques don't sound much different than maybe what you would hear in Alcoholics Anonymous, or or just you know for, you would hear from a counselor. Um, and I think sometimes we I, we could get into a discussion about all of that. I think our hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and our hope is in imputed righteousness. And I, I and I know we always want look for somehow practical victory, but whatever practical victory you think you can have over the flesh, over your sin, over Satan, over the world, whatever victory you think you can have, if you're even remotely honest with yourself, it's its more, an, it's, it's a facade. It's a mirage. Because no matter what victory you supposedly have, you're sinning. You're, you're, you're sinning continually in some way, shape, or form. Because sin is a lack of conformity to the holiness of God. And you live in a perpetual state of a lack of conformity to the holiness of God. So we somehow try to can give ourselves that. We can achieve, and I think we really can't achieve as much as we think we can. That's why we need imputed righteousness, and that's why we need to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. So, But because we've kind of gone down this path, and I love this about this podcast, is we sometimes kind of find ourselves just stumbling or falling into a, a theme or, or kind of into a series So we're going to begin kind of a little mini-series about how Satan gets into your head. And we're going to utilize as kind of a foundation for some of this, this message, again, found on the Sermons 2.0 app, how Satan gets into your head. Now, I can almost 1,000% guarantee you... That my perspective is going to be about a a million miles different, a million miles away from the perspective you're going to hear in the audio that we're going to be reviewing. Now, we're going to be reviewing this, criticizing it, analyzing it. But really, the goal here is not so much to criticize it. I mean, that, that will occur. I can't deny that because I can almost guarantee you my perspective is going to be so different. But the goal is not really to put the focus on it. I want you to go listen to it. What the goal here is, hey, here's their perspective. Here's my perspective. Now you choose and struggle between the two. My perspective will be very, my perspective is always very different than most Christians on pretty much every subject, but I love doing this because I want to be challenged. Look, the only way for my child, my only way for my perspectives to be challenged is to listen to other preachers and teachers. And I listen to those who I don't always agree with. In fact, sometimes I listen to those I never agree with to constantly be challenged. Now, in this particular case, I haven't listened to it yet. So I don't really know. I don't really know what's about to happen. But we will we, I, I have some ideas, but I, I don't know everything, but we're we're gonna, we're gonna try our best to just work through it. Now, because it's 42 minutes and 37 seconds, we know how these reviews go, right? I can review five minutes of audio and give you a 45 minute to an hour long episode. So we know this could take four, five, six hours. I'm going to begin it in this episode. The next episode, I may skip ahead to specific parts is what I may do. I may just decide to look through and find specific parts instead of trying to review all of this. It always depends on the feedback, right? Sometimes I will review something and the feedback is like, please keep going. This is fascinating. This is interesting. I love the contrast. Other times I am met with, Silence, And then I'm like, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't do this. So I'm going to at least do a part one. If I do a part one, then I will do at least a part two. What I may do is do just maybe a part one and a part two and then say, hey, guys, it's on the Sermons 2.0 app. You go listen to the rest and draw your own conclusions. I, I am curious about this because I do believe sometimes I am confused by supposedly how much power Satan has over us and all the things he can do to us. I mean, sometimes I listen to preachers and I'm like, man, literally Satan can do anything and everything to me, literally anything and everything. And it's sometimes confusing because it almost makes it sound like I don't bear any of the responsibility because all of the, re- all the issue is on Satan. Satan is to blame, not me. So, and then again, then that raises a question, if Satan can do all of this stuff, why is God not stopping him? They say, "Well, it's not time yet." Okay, it, what do you, it, it's not time for what? God could have destroyed Satan at any point in history, and it would have been perfectly okay, right? Why does He continue to let him exist? Then you have to say, "Well, it's a part of plan, it, it, a part of God's plan." Well, if it's a part of God's plan, then then that raises questions. If Satan, if He allows Satan to come to me, knowing that Satan's going to come to me, do something to me that relates to, then leads to sin. Then did God want that sin to occur? Now, God would not be directly responsible for providing the temptation. He just did not remove the very source that he knew would bring the temptation. Yet God created. Okay, then it raises some very deep philosophical questions. But let's listen to this. How Satan gets into your head. The title itself already tells me that according to this preacher, Satan can literally get inside of your head. Now, that scares me to death. You know why? If Satan can get inside of my head, then how can I ever trust any thought that comes from within my head? Because I don't know if that's me, if that's. Satan, or is that God? Like, what? Like I don't know. Can I even trust any thought that I have? Oh, I have this thought. Well, that could be Satan, because Satan can get into my head. Oh, I have this thought. Oh, that could be Satan. So then I got to think of everything I'm thinking, and then thinking if I'm thinking, if that thinking is coming from God or Satan. Now, I could think that I have identified what is Satan, and now I've taken that thought captivity, and then I can reject that thought. But wait a minute. How can I then... If Satan is in my head, how then can I then in the same brain that Satan has entered, I can then somehow—how can I— it, how, because I'm using the exact same brain, right? So how in my brain, I can then discern if it's Satan or not Satan, if Satan's in my brain. Because maybe I'm discerning what's Satan, but it's not really me discerning. It's Satan telling me it's Satan, but it's not really Satan. And he's he's misleading me. Oh man, now I get all confused. Okay, now I don't know what. I, I just need to go back and listen to heavy metal. It's much, it's much easier when you're listening to a heavy metal album than it is trying to actually think about this the, theologically. Wait a minute. I don't offer theology. I generally offer my opinion. But wait a minute. Is it my opinion? It could be Satan's opinion. Because Satan could be in my head. Oh my goodness. I don't even know. What am I even saying? Let's forget it. In the broadcast. Okay, all right. Maybe a little bit of hyperbole. But do you do realize the minute you put forth the concept that Satan can get inside your head, your entire perception of life, does it not come from your brain? If Satan can get inside my mind... What then can I, can I trust anything if I'm reading my Bible and I'm like, no, this is the right interpretation. What if Satan is in my head? I don't know. Can I trust my interpretation? This is right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is that Satan? No, No, no. Now we've only got to the title. I'm already really worried here. Okay. Now, I don't know if I can offer a review because it could be Satan offering the review because Satan could be in my head. Oh, I don't even know what to do anymore. Now, I'm being a little, a little sarcastic, but I'm doing so not so much to go after this sermon, just to go after the general world of Christianity because the, the general world of Christianity sometimes allows Satan so much of this power and influence, but they don't ever stop to go, well, wait a minute, that would mean we can't trust anything. And they never stop to go, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. Okay, wait. Uh, Yeah, I think it raises questions. So this title seems to imply that Satan can get inside my head. And if he can get inside my head, I just, at that point, I don't know. I don't know what's the end game there. Now, I'm assuming before this sermon is over, we're going to have some understanding of how all of this works. And it's going to be clear. It's going to be concise. And we're going to all be like, do you remember how you did the opening illustration? Don't you feel stupid now? See, you you made it, you turned it into something it never was intended. And you're right, I could be. But I, I think that my opening illustration here does speak to a lot of what's going on in the world of evangelical Christianity when it comes to Satan. But here we go. How Satan gets into your head. Look it up on the Sermons 2.0 app. Use it for your Sermons 2.0 app challenge. In the meantime, I'm going to use it for my Sermons 2.0 app challenge as we kind of start a little mini-series on how Satan gets into your head.
1: This morning, I would like to address a very timely subject, how Satan gets into your head. The Apostle Paul had firsthand working knowledge of Satan's fierce battle against the church, against its leadership, and against its disciples. The Holy Spirit gave the Apostle Paul very keen insights.
0: Okay, so let's at least establish a clear principle here. Satan is at war with the church, with the saints. He's at war with you. All right. Now, that is a very sobering and somewhat concerning thought. If Satan is a real spiritual being who's at war with me, he's spiritual, right? He's a fallen angelic being. I'm simply a human with a sinful nature, with a sinful nature. Okay. How then does this battle play itself out? And if Satan is at war with me, then this greatly impacts how I describe the Christian life. And so then what I need to do, no, is I need to know the abilities of my enemy. I need to know exactly what he can and cannot do, right? I need to know this. Like if I'm, if I'm, I mean, I've spent a good portion, a good portion of my life in martial arts. If I'm in, if I'm getting ready to spar someone or some kind of, some kind of, conf or you know some type of of competition between me and another person in martial arts no matter which what what the competition is whether it's a form of kickboxing or if it's it's type of a ufc grappling or if it's sparring whatever whatever the situation may be if i know something about the other person i'm like man their kicks their kicks are powerful their kicks are they can kick to the head and you know, no, no, without any warning, or they have powerful leg kicks. If if we're allowing that, whatever the situation is, then I need to know. Okay, I gotta be, I gotta be, I gotta be careful because that's that's their strong point. Their kicks, or like, whoa, that person, their their boxing ability, their punches, or they, they instead of throwing punches, they do elbow strikes. They do elbow strikes and those things, and so I have to kind of know what their ability and where their strength is, what they can or can't do, because that's what I need to be on the lookout for. Uh, if, if if someone if someone really doesn't have very good kicks and you can see them coming from a mile away, then I'm probably not going to be so worried about what they're doing with their legs, and I'm going to be focusing on maybe an elbow strike, punch, or whatever the case may be, right? And Not to get all specific about it. So uh, the same thing is with Satan. If say, we're really in a war with Satan, I need to know exactly what he can he can't do and what he can do i've got to then figure out okay how can that impact me and the and the the emphasis here seems to be that satan one of his abilities he can literally get inside of your head okay that puts me at some serious disadvantage let's see how this plays out
1: into the destructive strategies that Satan employs in every generation of believers in his attempts to defeat us and to render us powerless for God's work and for God's kingdom. Now, can Satan render you completely powerless
0: for God's work and God's kingdom? Now that's that's a question you should write down. Does Satan possess the power to render you powerless for the work of God and for the kingdom of God? That you, are, I guess, you're still a Christian, but now you are powerless because Satan was able to come in and grab your power and take it from you. And if Satan takes your power, can you get it back? Can I mean, do you go back to Satan? Open up! I need my power back. Now, I know that's a little, I'm I'm being a little facetious here, but you get the, can Satan literally make you powerless? And if he can make you powerless for the work of God and the kingdom of God, what other, what other ways can he render you powerless? So Satan can get into my head. These are, these are the, the implications we have already from the title. Satan can get inside your head and he can render you powerless for God's work and for the kingdom of God. I don't know exactly what that would mean. Practically speaking, I'm rendered powerless? That sounds like a pretty
1: serious state. Can Satan do that? Failure on your part or my part to recognize the enemy and to defend ourselves against his destructive, ageless strategies could bring untold devastation, hurt, And sorrow not only into our lives, but into the lives of our children and our grandchildren, literally for generations to come.
0: Wow, that is serious. If I don't recognize this enemy, and I don't stop this enemy. He can do absolutely untold damage and devastation, not only for me, for people around me, for my grandkids, for generations to come. That's a lot of responsibility you have, ladies and gentlemen. You have to recognize Satan and you've got to somehow be able to stop this because he can bring utter devastation and destruction that will impact g- generations to come. That, that, okay, whoa. Now, now this... I, you know what? You may want to just go ahead and just stop everything. You may want to quit your job. You may want to just stop everything. And you say, "Well, what's going on? Look, I'm in a war, and someone's out there, and they can render me powerless and bring such destruction and devastation into me that it could have generational impact." Now, now again, when you those are big claims. If those claims are even remotely accurate. I I don't you think that should like have massive practical implications on how you live out your Christian life?
1: All right, let, let, let's let's see how far we can get. The Bible is very, very clear that there is a spiritual battle that rages all around us and oftentimes in us as well. Okay, there's a battle
0: that rages around us, constantly around us, and sometimes in us. A point of difference right here. This is a very significant point of difference. I completely have a different perspective. The war rages constantly in us. And then there are times it's outside of us. The, the, the front of the battle, the, the front line of the battle is not outside of you. It's inside of you. And it has literally nothing to do with Satan. Nothing to do with Satan. The issue is you have a sinful nature. That nature was not eradicated in your conversion that nature is very much alive and well, and that is that nature that prevents you from ever being perfect. Look, if the nature is gone, perfection then is 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 well it's not even it's not that's possible it's not it's not that it's plausible, it's not that it's possible, it's just the thing that should happen. You can't be holy as God is holy, you can't be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. you can't ever be that. Because you have a sinful nature. So if we do have a sinful nature, the war is inside of you. Now, this is very important. If you're trying to figure out how this war works, you got to kind of know where the war is being fought. Do you feel that the war is external or do you feel the war is internal? I say the war is internal and I don't even need Satan to show up. Satan can go on vacation. Satan can retire because the issue is inside of me. And inside of me are sinful thoughts and sinful desires because I'm a sinner. Now, some are going to say, well, and, and, well they, they sometimes forget the in Christ part, but there were new creatures. The old is gone and all is new. Well, if that is true practically, then we don't have anything to worry about because we no longer have a sinful nature. And if I don't have a sinful nature, external things are not going to find an, an internal appetite for Right? Let me give you an example. I'll give you an example and I'm going to be uh, somewhat blunt. If I'm watching television and they show a homosexual relationship on that television show, guess what? I'm not tempted by that in any way, shape or form. There's not going to be any feelings for lust, any feelings of lust, any feelings of desire. I'll just be, oh, okay. may not. It's not my thing. I don't like that. Like I have no I'm not drawn to that. There's nothing that's appealing uh, to me for that because that's not me. I'm not that. I don't have that desire in me. It does. It's not there. So the external thing, you can have all kinds of homosexual relationships on a television show. It doesn't have any impact on me because I'm not drawn to it. I don't desire it. I don't lust for it. I don't covet. I don't, I'm just like, okay, whatever. What? Look, like, I may not like, it may not be something I want to necessarily see. It's, well, when it's two men, I definitely don't want to see that, right? We could get into sometimes the hypocrisy, but we won't get, we won't, we won't get too all, we won't chase that rabbit too far. The point is, I won't be drawn to that. I won't be drawn to that. I won't be drawn to that. So then as a result, why not? Because there's nothing internal. There's nothing internal. Other things they could show, then all of a sudden, lust and desire, because there's something internal there. So if we put the battle external, to me, the the external battle doesn't have much internal impact unless there's something internal that is drawn to the external. And, the, and I think the issue is always the internal. It starts with a sinful nature. All right. I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. All right. Let, let's see where he's going to go.
1: This battle is a battle to gain control of your mind and your thought life. Okay, so the battle is to take
0: control of your thought life. Now, this seems to imply, once again, that Satan could take control of your thoughts. Now, if you are a Christian and Satan can take control of your thoughts, yeah, you would be rendered powerless. Yeah, that would be utterly devastating. So then here's the question. Can Satan... Take complete control of your thoughts as a believer. And if he can, then you should be absolutely scared to death.
1: I would like for us to take a brief perusal of several passages of Scripture that speak to the incredible importance of the mind. And one of the things that I hope as we look at these passages and as we look at greater depth into the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is that you will gain a greater appreciation for why Satan is willing to expend so much of his energy in his attempts to enslave your mind so that it will be brought into the service of his Purposes. All right, so Satan puts forth great
0: energy and effort to enslave your mind that you will serve his purposes. Can Satan enslave the mind of a believer so that you serve his purpose? Now, we, gotta, we do have to at least establish this somewhere here. Now, when you say Satan is using all of his energy and he puts all of this effort, maybe not all of his energy, he's putting much effort into enslaving your mind. Now we got we we gotta stop and we gotta ask a question. Satan cannot be doing this to every single person, right? Satan cannot be, unless are you going to say either because one, Satan is not omnipresent. So let's get that out of the way. So then you would say, Satan doesn't do it. So then can we say, can demons has Satan sent out demons and that demons, they have the ability to enslave your mind. And if a demon, so then demons are working, so Satan's purpose is to enslave the mind of all believers so that they will serve his purpose. Then, okay, so then we have to say that that would be the correct, the more theologically sound way. Satan is not omnipresent. So Satan can't be doing this for everyone because he can't be in all places at all times. So then we would have to say, Satan utilizes an army of demons to go all around the world, enslaving the minds of believers so that they serve his purpose. Then this brings up the ultimate question. Can a believer's mind be enslaved to Satan? And if it can be, How do you know if your mind is or isn't? Could you ever then know that your mind has been enslaved to Satan? Because your mind would be enslaved. If your mind is controlled by something else, well, then then there's nothing in your mind that could then perceive that it's being controlled by something else, right? Look, if there's one thing I do know, I'm very, very, very much aware of how something can impact your brain to such an ability that you don't even know what's going on. I am very aware of this, all right? Many of you know, because of what happened to me when I was in the United States military, I have significant neurological issues, which impacts the brain. And sometimes things are happening in my brain that I don't know is happening in my brain. I have no way of knowing. Let me give you an example. I don't remember what year it was, but it was some, it was, uh, I don't know, but I know the time of day was somewhere in the, like, morning to early afternoon. I have no idea what happened, but somehow I got, I got dressed, I got ready, I grabbed car keys and I took off. Now, I have no memory of any of this. This I have no memory of any of this. This is all being told to me by people after the fact. I left the house. I come walking back to the house, walking without the car. I don't know, an hour later, two hours later. I don't know. I know that I'd been gone so long that now panic had set in because people didn't know where I went. I didn't tell anybody I was going anywhere. I was just gone. Nobody knew where I was. I come walking back into the house. I don't walk to the front door. I walk into the back door carrying a pizza from Pizza Hut. They're asking me questions I don't remember. The only thing I remember is I almost got hit by cars because I found myself in the middle of an intersection. I have a brief memory of almost dying. And then I come walking through the back door with a pizza. I don't know where, how I got the pizza. I didn't have any, my wallet was in the house. I don't know how I got the pizza, but I have a pizza from Pizza Hut. They're trying to talk to me and I'm, I'm kind of griping at them, according to them, because I don't remember any of this, that the pizza was cold because it was cold outside. So it was obviously somewhere, you know, during the time that would be possibly cold around here. And so I'm trying to heat up the oven so I can heat up my pizza and I have no clue what is going on. So after a little bit of time, they're trying to figure it out. I, I don't know what's going on. I'm getting a little emotional and frustrated, according to them. I don't have any memory of this. They, they are like, well, where's the car? I'm like, what do you mean? Where is the car? How did you get the pizza? I don't know. What are you talking about? And, and then I'm like, I'm like, are you, you gave me the pizza. Like, I'm just like, nothing makes any sense. Well, so they, they, they get in a car to go try to find the car. They find the car at Pizza Hut, right? So I mean, obviously they have a good clue where I'm at. Cause I got a Pizza Hut pizza. They find it in the parking lot. They go in to Pizza Hut going, Hey, You know, this person was here. They walked out with a pizza. They'd had no money. And they're they're like, we don't, we don't even remember seeing the person. We don't even know what you're talking about. And I'm like, so what? And so, so, and it's like, it's just, I mean, you know, it's, they, like, the the whole thing makes no sense. They, they finally bring the car home. And to this day, I don't know what happened. I don't know how I got the pizza. I don't know how I got there. I don't know how I got home. Uh, I, I don't know any, none of it makes any sense because of the neurological issues that I have. I have no, at that point, I had no control of what I was doing or thinking. None, zero. And there's countless other examples of that happening to me where I'm found somewhere and people are like, what is going on? And I have no idea what's going on. No clue, right? No clue. Uh, and then and, and my seizures and all the different things that can happen. Just these bizarre situations. So I know what it's like. So if Satan can enter into my brain, to completely enslave it, to control it, well, then there would be no way for me then to ever be able to determine that my brain was being enslaved by Satan because if my brain is enslaved, then it cannot, it would be under the control of someone else, so it could not think independently of the thing controlling it. So if Satan can enslave it, I couldn't be able to know that it's being enslaved because... (laughs) Do, do you understand the, 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 the dilemma that you would find yourself in? So he's putting forth the, the hypotheses that Satan can not only get into your head, he can completely enslave you and then in so doing you're rendered completely powerless and it can absolutely lead to devastation that could have generational impact. Ladies and gentlemen, I I don't I I don't even know what to do at this point. Okay, l- l- let's see where this goes.
1: Would you please open with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'd like to begin reading at verse 3. I'm reading out of the New American Standard version this morning. The Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. May I encourage you to take out your bulletin. There's a skeletal outline there that I believe will be of critical help to you as you contemplate on the things we'll look at this morning in the Word of God. And I hope you will do that through the coming week. One of the best ways to get into your heart Not just into your mind, but into your heart, the truths of God is to reflect upon those truths in the subsequent week. I'd like for us to look at several uh, passages of Scripture just by way of reading them. You've all heard the statement, you are what you eat. Exactly. You are what you eat. You eat junk food, that's what you become. But according to the Bible, you are what you think. Let's read together. Look on the screen. Proverbs 23, verse 7. Let's read that together, please. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And let me tell you something else. The longer you think in a certain direction in your heart, the more you will become what you are thinking. Okay, now, I
0: understand this hypothesis. And I understand there is obviously a level of biblical truth to this concept because the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now you can say, why is he thinking in his heart? Is the heart the center? Is that the mind? Is that being synonymous with the mind? Because you don't think in the heart. Or is this, as a man thinketh in his heart, is that focusing on emotion or is that focusing on thought? Do we draw, draw a distinction between the heart and the mind? Is this, is this, is another way of saying, as a man, thinks in his heart. As a man is impacted by his emotions, that's what he becomes. Is this about the power of emotion or is it about the power of thought? That's something I want you to consider. But let me make it very clear. There is one thing that we cannot deny when it comes to the Christian understanding of human beings. We can say what you think is what you are, but let me make it very clear. What we are is what we are, no matter how we think or don't think about it. And that one thing that we are is we are sinners by nature. We have a sinful nature. That is not changed or eradicated simply because you think differently. Now, your thinking may be used to try to fight that sinful nature, and you and but that sinful nature is gonna impact your thinking and it's gonna impact your feelings. So therefore, it's this continuing circle of circle of conflict that's very difficult sometimes to know where it stops and where it ends because it's very confusing because it's going on internally. But as a man thinketh in his heart— whether you want to put that as thoughts or you want to put that as emotion, thoughts and emotions have profound impact on us. And our thoughts and emotion arises from within us. And what is inside of us is sinful nature. That's why our thoughts and our emotions are corrupted by said sinful nature. That's why we are in a perpetual state of sin, because we have a sinful nature and we always fall short of the glory of God. And even our good works are nothing but filthy rags before a holy God, because everything we do is tainted by sin in some way, shape, or form. Unless you going to argue that we no longer have the sinful nature. Then you would have to then argue perfection is
1: expected. If you want to know what a man really is, find out what he embraces in his thought life in the most private recesses of his heart. No. If you want to know what a man really is,
0: it's not that the thought's The thoughts may reveal it, but the the reason he is thinking that is because of what he is. What he is determines how he thinks. And we are sinners by nature. Therefore, sin shows up in our thinking. What you are, thats uh, those thoughts, those evil thoughts, those evil desires come from inside of us. The source of it is my sinful nature. Now, you can say, well, if you really want to know what a man is... Look to his thoughts. Well, I think in some ways you could say that. Well, why are those thoughts there? Because the thoughts do then demonstrate what he is. If you're going to acknowledge that what we are is sinful in our nature. My nature is the reason the thoughts are there. It's that They, they arise from my sinful nature. Now, it's not that the thoughts determine what I am. What I am determines my thoughts.
1: Because that is who He really is. Also, let's look at uh, Isaiah 23, verse 6. The focus of your mind, particularly in trying and difficult times, is critically, critically important. Read with me again Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Where does our mind need to dwell? Read that with me, please. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace which passes understanding "...will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus." And in the next verse, Philippians 4, verse 8, "...Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, meditate on these things." Paul is saying your thought life is critically, critically important.
0: So, here's a question. Can we reduce the Christian life? Is that the Christian life? Remember the, and the uh, broadcast earlier today, the Christian life was really just reduced to you making good choices. So, is the Christian life really just reduced to you, 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 it's a mind game. You just need to think right. And if you think right, dun, dun, da, da! victory. Is it just thinking right? I don't know if I, once again, I think that thinking right is important. We do need to think right. That's why we study and read our Bibles. We do need to think right. But let me make it very clear. All the right thinking, literally all wisdom does not negate sinful nature. Solomon was the wisest man, ended up with a thousand women, a polygamist, a serial adulterer, and an idolater. Thinking right, thinking correctly, and having wisdom where you're using the thinking correctly. Having the right mind does not negate The sinful nature. Now, what it should do is that thinking should then be able to acknowledge your sin and your failure. That thinking should be able to think correctly about right and wrong. That thinking should be able to go, that is a wrong desire. That is a wrong one. I'm doing the wrong thing. But it doesn't get rid of the sinful nature. Some people believe we can play a mind game and then it's mind over matter. Well, your mind cannot dominate your sinful nature. If it could, then Christians could just think right and then never sin again. But as long as you have to acknowledge that we cannot get to perfection, that we cannot stop sinning, well, then that means the sinning is coming from a nature and the nature would have to be then the dominant one because it's literally stopping you from achieving what you say you want to achieve.
1: You don't want to focus in your thought life on junk, on untruth. On error, on suspicions, on rumors, on tales, on fantasies, but rather on the things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, and which are of good report. I don't know about you, but I'm already convicted. And I haven't even got ten minutes in the message. And then Romans 12, verse two. Let's read. You
0: know why you're already convicted? Because you have a sinful nature. And that sinful nature impacts your desires and your wants and your thinking.
1: It does. All right. Read that together, please. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. By the renewing of what? Your minds, your thought life. Your way of processing the world around you. The way that you process your relationships with other people. The way you relate to God. The way you view life. All of these things are a part of your mind, your mindset, your thought life. And the Bible says, God has given you His nature, so the transformation has begun but all during our sojourn on the earth, God wants to transform your mind. Okay, now he's
0: setting up a major, I- interesting, God is giving you his nature. Now, if you have the nature of God, why do you still sin? Now, we've talked about this so many times and we've I've told you to listen to sermons and Try to figure out how the evangelical world really understands the makeup of, of, of people. And sometimes it's confounding and confusing. The mind, the heart, new heart, old heart, new nature, old nature. So do we, does, is the old nature there? no, it's just the new nature. We have now the nature of Christ. So like, what do we, what do we, when you really, if you were to kind of, in a sense, spiritually speaking, cut open a person, what would you see? Okay. There's the old nature or is the old nature gone? Well, if the old nature has gone and there's only a new nature or the nature of Christ. Well, if I old, if the only nature I have now is the nature of Christ, then why am I not perfect and holy? And why do I keep sinning? And this is sometimes it gets so confusing because it's like, no, you have a new nature. The old is gone. Everything is new. Okay, well, then there should be no sin. Well, no, no, no. You're still going to sin. Why am I still sinning? Well, it's it's like muscle memory. Well, well, what are you talking about? That makes no sense. Well, the Bible says if anyone's in Christ, is a new creature. The old is gone. Positionally, I am in Christ. And because I'm positionally in Christ, positionally, I'm a new creature. The old is gone. All is new because I am accounted perfectly righteous because of an imputed righteousness that does not make me righteous, but declares me to be that which I'm not practically. But somehow we confound that and confuse that. Now he's now established that we have a new nature, but even though you hear what he said, we have a new nature, but yet, 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 that only starts the transformation. So we have a completely new nature, but we're still not transformed. Now we have to transform ourselves by the renewing of our mind, meaning now, even though I've got a new nature, I still am going to sin because I'm still not transformed. So even a new nature doesn't transform me. A new na- you would think a new nature would make me transformed, but a new nature only starts the transformation process. So now a new nature, but now I have to renew my mind. Well, wait a minute. If I got a new nature, why isn't my mind renewed? So is my- is it a new nature, but an old mind? Why isn't my mind new? If I have a new nature, what would that not be? So I have a new nature, but an old mind. But then I have to transform the mind through the renewing of the
1: mind. So, okay, Your thought life. Do you see how critically important, according to just these several verses, is your mind, your thought life? From these passages, we see the absolute and critical importance of the mind and our thought life. The mind of mankind, I am convinced, is one of the ways that you and I are created in the image and likeness of God. It's not the only way, but it is one of the ways that you and I are created in God's image. And for that very reason, the mind is critically important to God... That's why so much in the Bible relates to the mind and is of critical importance to Satan as he wages this fierce battle against the church, against its leadership, and against you, its disciples. In this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul alerts us first of all to the battle. Secondly, alerts us to the battlefield. And third, he alerts us to the battle plan. Understanding the battle, the battlefield, and the battle plan will help you to understand how Satan gets into your head and how to protect your mind, your thought life, from his evil and destructive strategies against you.
0: Okay, so once again, he's establishing Satan can literally get into your head. Satan can get into your head. And I've already brought up all of the possible ramifications of that. Satan can get into your head. Now, is that Satan in my head? Like in some kind of like supernatural way? Or is it Satan just putting thoughts in my head? Like, he seems to imply that Satan can literally enslave your brain or your mind until you're completely rendered powerless. So, it seems to be more than just Satan can put thoughts in there that Satan literally can take control over. So, can Satan take the control of the mind while I yet possess a new nature? And if Satan can take control of the mind— well, I thought I'm possessed by the Holy Spirit. So I'm possessed by the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't possess the mind. So then Satan can move in and say, "Your hey, Holy Spirit, you stayed there. I've got control of the mind. Can that work? How does that work?
1: All right. First of all, the Apostle Paul alerts us to the battle in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse three, the Apostle Paul says, we do not war according to the flesh. He is alerting us here that there is a spiritual battle that rages. We do not war according to the flesh. As soon as you became a child of God, whether you like it or not, you got conscripted into the king's army. And to Satan, you became public enemy, number one. You can proclaim yourself a pacifist, but it won't work. You are in the battle whether you want to be or not. So since you're in the battle, then you might as well engage the enemy. There is no such thing as a Christian who is on the sidelines of the battle. We are all in the battle. The problem is many Christians don't realize it and as a result, they are succumbing to his strategies and to Satan's destructive defeat. God and Satan are at war.
0: Okay, now this goes back to heavy metal theology. That's exactly what that heavy metal song, God and Satan are at war. Now, I mean, do you think that's an accurate representation? Are they at war? Because I thought God already won the war. Is God really engaged in a war? Or is God, is everything working according to God's sovereign purpose and plan? Is there an actual war? Or is God just allowing Satan to do certain things, but God is controlling it and determining it so that it goes exactly as he has planned? Is it really a war? Because a war seems to be between two equal and opposing forces, right? Or or some kind of, like, there's a, Is, is it really a conflict? Satan hates God. He may be trying to fight against God, but is God, like, really, like, he knows what's going on isn't isn't satan really just god's tool i mean was there much of a war in the book of job hey no you can do this you can't do this you, do this. you can do this you can't do this you can do this you can't do this god controlled everything that that doesn't sound like much of a war satan came and God said hey have you considered this okay well oh okay You can, you can do, he controlled the, he controlled everything. God knew the outcome. Hey, hey, Peter, Satan, Satan's looking out. Satan wants to do something for you. That seems to be like God knew exactly what was going to happen. He controlled it. So when we say they're at war, what do we mean by that? What do we mean by that? Is God really controlling it and guiding it, or is God like, "Oh, I've got to fight this. I got to fight this. Oh, we got to fight. We got to fight." Is God fighting, or God's like, "Hey, I'm gonna. This is what's gonna happen here. Then this is gonna happen, and then we'll all bring it together, and I guess, and, and then uh, it'll just be over." I, I, how would you describe it?
1: Their followers are at war. Their kingdoms are at war. Now, folks, there are three very basic fundamental themes that show up in the Bible over and over and over again. That's where we'll stop.
0: There's three fundamental themes that show up in the Bible over and over and over and over and over. So, here's what I want you to do I want you to think about. What Satan can actually do inside your brain. What Satan can actually do inside your mind. How much power, how much control, how much dominance, how much influence can Satan Place in your mind. Now it can't be always Satan. So then you would have to be, if you're going to say Satan is doing this, you have to say it's demons because Satan is not omnipresent. So we just got to 100% establish that theological truth. Even though people say I don't know theology, that's a basic theological concept. Satan is not omnipresent. The end. Okay, that that's clear. All right, God is not Satan. So if Satan is using demons. Then does he send a demon to every single person, every single day, to try to then control your thoughts? Because if we constantly say it's Satan, that means demons would have to be around every single person, every single Christian, every single day, trying to put thoughts, trying to take, trying to keep control of your brain, trying to take control of your brain. What can Satan actually do in your brain? Now, I want you to think about if Satan is doing those things in your brain, then how can your brain then be utilized? You, If you have to use, if Satan is, the, if the war is over your brain and Satan can get in your brain, well, then how, then what are you using to the, be able to determine what is going on in your brain? Wouldn't you be using your mind to determine what's going on in your mind? And can you use the mind to To determine what's going on in your mind, if your mind has already been infiltrated and corrupted, can you trust the something that's already corrupted and been infiltrated and already been hacked? If your computer has been hacked and been infiltrated and been corrupted, can you trust things you're getting from the computer? All right we will stop there. I've got to figure out the timestamp where we just stopped <laughs> because my, uh, software is telling me we're at zero, 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 zero. <laughs> okay. So it, it's showing me how, uh, I don't know. I don't know what has happened, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's gone. So I'll have to figure out how to start it right there again. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll work on it on a part two. Maybe, maybe tonight we will see. In the meantime, you can email me your thoughts about all of this, news, if at yahoo.com That's news, if at, yahoo.com, news, if at yahoo.com Your feedback on this will determine, well, I think we'll have to at least listen. Since we stopped here, we know we have to in part two. We have to at least at a minimum look at these three theme, themes that he says originates in the Bible over and over and over and over. So we will have to at least look at them. I mean, we kind of—that's where we stopped. So we're stuck. <laughs> but in the meantime, go listen to how Satan gets into your head by Dr. Charles A. Stewart. You can listen to it. Please listen to it over and over and over. You know, and just hey, that, that's that's his hypotheses. My hypotheses were already in somewhat of a, a somewhat different perspectives. That's perfectly okay. Maybe we'll either. Before this message is over, we'll find ourselves closer in agreement or maybe even further apart. But guess what you do? You benefit because you hear two different perspectives. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.